today. I'm sure you noticed the 1960 Corvette out there. Pretty awesome, huh? Yeah. Owned by Mr. Carl Large Sr. And uh, I'm sure he'll be here after a while. I don't see Carl in the room yet. He's here. Oh, he's right there, of course. Make sure you see Carl today. He's got stories to tell about this Corvette back here, and he'll be glad to tell you about it. So, um, you know, yesterday he arrived about 11 or so, and he pulled up out here with it, and I walked out to meet him, and as soon as we did, this young man came running from the gas station next door. I mean, he's running full sprint over here. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what was about to happen, but he was filled with delight at seeing that car. And he said, can I take some pictures? Can I take some pictures? And Carl said, well, sure. And so he did, and they started talking about this car. Turns out this young man was from Africa. And he started talking about what a treasure it was already. But he said, in my country, it's probably worth four to five times what would be paid here for it. It's viewed in, in, with that much respect and that much honor. He said, there's not many of them there. And he, he kept asking Carl if he was going to sell it. Carl said, no, I'm not. But it was just intriguing to me to see this young man, how passionate he was about seeing this restored 1960 Corvette, a car that has had some miles, a car that's probably been through some stuff, but Carl has worked diligently to restore it to a place of beauty today. There's something that's intriguing about having something that is older restored to have something that has been down the road and to be made new, to see something that has maybe even been wrecked and no longer what was intended to be, and all of a sudden have it be restored to something brand new. There's something intriguing about that. There's something beautiful about it, not just in cars, but also in people's lives. There's something attractive about a person who has been down the road and they've been through some storms. They've been through some wrecks. They've been through some difficult times, but where they are, they're restored. They're someone new. They're not filled with anger and bitterness and resentment. They're not looking and blaming everybody else for their situation, but there's a, there's a peace about them. There's a joy about them. There's a love about them that you know only Jesus can do in a person's life. There's something attractive about someone like that that's been made new and restored. There's something attractive about a person who discovers what their purpose is, what their drive is. Our series is called Driven, and we're looking throughout these uh, next several weeks at what it means to be restored and filled with new drive, to have new passion for your life in spite of what's happened in the past. Let me kind of give you a, a little bit of a, a preview of something that's coming up next Sunday in the evenings. Now, we don't normally have Sunday evening services, but we're going to try something here for three weeks beginning next Sunday. They're not services in the sense like our Sunday morning services, but we're doing something we're calling Under the Hood. It's part of this series, but we're going to help people in our church, in our community who want to come be a part, to discover three things. Because you have been uniquely crafted and designed by God. Every part of you has. Your life is not a mistake. Your life is not a random series of events that has just occurred for no reason. You have been uniquely crafted by God with the appearance that you have, 
with the personality that you have, and even with the spiritual drive that you have. So what we're going to do in these three evenings is the first week is we're going to help you discover what your relational style is. We're going to have an interactive evening, and I'm going to walk you through some relational styles that people have. And you're actually going to get to take a profile. Get this. It's a test you can't fail. How about that? It's pretty good. You'll get to come. It won't take long. We'll be here for one hour that evening, and you'll get to, in an interactive way, you'll get to discover what your relational style is, why you relate the way you do to other people, and why you'll discover finally why your spouse relates the way they do. Now, that'd be intriguing, right? So you got to come. You got to come figure that stuff out. And parents, you'll discover something about your children, why they are wired the way they are, why they think the way they think, why they have the interests that they have. That's just the first night. The second week, we're going to talk about what it means to have a spiritual drive. You see, the day you were born again, you were given a new drive. And the Bible calls those drives spiritual gifts, passions, drives. When you understand how God has given you a drive, it will all of a sudden click why you think certain ways, why you view certain situations the way you do. When you understand your spiritual gifting profile, we'll help you do that. The third week, we're going to talk about how do you put all this together and how do I make sense of the events of my past, the experiences that I've had? What is the purpose for my life? We're going to put all that together so you can see why we're calling it under the hood. You're going to get a look under the hood of why God has made you, how God has made you the way he has. So that's next Sunday evening and the two Sunday evenings following that. But today we are in week two of our series, Driven, and we're looking at the life of Moses. And I'm going to show you right now the big point that I want to walk away with today. It's pretty good when you know up front where you're going. So here it is. God redeems our pain to become fuel for our passion. Now, in case you hadn't made the connection, that fits exactly with what Caleb was just talking about and with what we were just singing. He gives us, Jesus gives us beauty for our ashes, for the places in our life that we think have been burned, where we have felt pain, where we think it's a dead end. And God could never use us again. I'm here to tell you today, those are lies from the enemy. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that the areas in your life that have, bur- have been burned and broken, that he would restore them and bring something about more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Today we're going to see this truth lived out through the man Moses. Because this is a truth that runs throughout Scripture. It's a pattern of what God does. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, it talks about giving beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for those who mourn, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God is in the process and the work of redeeming people's lives. He restores them. And he does so not just so that you can say, oh, I just love my life so much more now. He does it for a purpose, a purpose bigger than you even know today. Because in that same passage where he gives the oil of joy for mourning and the beauty for ashes, the next words are this, 
and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities. God restores so that you and I might become restorers, that we might have a passion and to see others restored. So Moses is what we're going to be looking at today. His story is in the book of Exodus chapter 2. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, you can today. If you have a Bible app on your phone, iPad, whatever device you've got, or you can follow me on screen. If you want to take pictures of the screen during the message, help yourself. If that's your way of taking notes, great. Exodus chapter 2 is where we are today. Last week, we saw the story of Moses as he was born. And we discovered that his parents were people of faith. They were so confident that God was at work in their life. They were so confident that God is the one who orchestrates and arranged the events of our life that they, at a time when it was really, really unwise to have a child... You see, that's the kind of thing we say today. Well, I'm not sure it's economically feasible to have a child right now. I'm not sure it's politically wise to have a child right now. I'm not sure it's really safe to have a child right now. Moses' parents got past all of that and said, God, we believe you've given us a child. Because they had a baby boy born at a time when Pharaoh said, if there's a baby boy born, he needs to be killed and thrown into the river. All baby boys in that day were killed. But his parents were so confident that God had a purpose. The Bible says that they did not fear the king's command. And they had this baby. And they hid him for three months until they no longer could. And then they built a basket. And they put Moses in the basket. And they released him into the Lord's hands so that God might do with him what he had to do with him. So this is kind of where our story picks up today. What I'm leaving out is that Pharaoh's daughter was there at the river that day. And she's out there and a basket comes floating up. And when she removes the top, there's a baby boy in it. And she takes the baby and begins to raise Moses as her own. And she says, I need to have someone who can nurse the baby. Guess who God sovereignly arranges to be the one who will come and nurse and raise Moses? His own mom. You talk about sovereign hand of God. Moses' mom released him into God's hand, and God gave him back. And so Moses' mother raised him in Pharaoh's house. A boy of Hebrew heritage growing up in an Egyptian castle. A boy with a heritage of faith growing up in a godless place. With one who worshipped many gods. And so Moses begins to grow. And this is where our story begins today. Here we are in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown. So some time passes, and it says that he went out to his brethren. He goes out, and he sees his Hebrew brethren. Now, as we mentioned last week, they at the time are a slave class in the culture. They have no rights, very little possessions, and they, just by their race, are forced 
to be slaves. This is who they are. This is what Moses is born into, yet he grows up in the home of the man who's created a slave class. It had to be such a struggle for Moses to see that happening to his own people. And the Bible says that he went out to his brethren and he looked at their burdens. He's living in ease. He's living in prosperity. He's living with servants. Yet the ones who are serving are his own people. And he sees their burdens. He sees how they're treated. He sees how little they have. He sees their rights taken away from them. And it says that he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He sees one of his own people being beaten just because they're Hebrew. It's one of his brethren. His heart's broken. He's, he's moved with compassion. And the Bible says that this happened next. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Mm. The burning anger, the pain, the injustice became more than he could handle. And he looked and he didn't see anyone. The Bible says nowhere that Moses stopped and prayed. It doesn't say Moses sought godly counsel. It doesn't say, and Moses considered first what this would mean in regards to all his parents had said about who he was, what their faith was. It doesn't say any of that. He just looked this way. He looked that way. He saw no one, and he killed the Egyptian. Verse 13. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. He goes out the next day. Now, just remember, he kills this Egyptian and hides him in the sand, hoping no one will see, no one will know. He didn't see anyone see him, but now he had to hide the evidence, and he does. He goes out the next day, and there's two Hebrew men fighting. These are his own people. And he's, he's coming off this event where he's still filled with a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of guilt, a little bit of fear about what's happened. But he sees his brothers fighting. And he says to the one who did the wrong, so there's two guys fighting. One of them is really in the wrong, Moses says. He says, why are you striking your companion? What are you guys doing? Why are you fighting one another? Verse 14. Then he said, who made you? a prince, and judge over us. Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. It's just been a day, and already word has gotten out. I mean, it has spread. Moses didn't put it on Facebook. He didn't record the event on Instagram. He didn't create a hashtag that said Egyptian hater. He didn't do any of that. He tried to hide the thing. He looked this way, and he looked that way, and he didn't see anybody, see him, but somehow word got out. 
I mean, it got out because his own people know what's happened. And Moses said, oh my, this thing must be known. In fact, not must be, it is known. Here's the deal. You can attempt to hide your sin. You can think you got it covered. You can think no one sees. But I'm going to tell you a powerful truth. Your sin will find you out. It just works that way. God is faithful. It will find you out. You can cover it. You can attempt to bury it. You can attempt to make it all clean, but you can't hide it forever. It will find you out. And for Moses, it didn't take but a day. Here's what the Bible says next. It says, when Pharaoh heard of this matter. Now, now get this. Pharaoh's not just some guy far removed. Pharaoh is the head of the household that Moses has grown up in. Moses is in the position to potentially be the next leader of the nation. You see, the situation was ripe. God had orchestrated. God had set it up. His parents weren't wrong. They had faith. They believed. And here, God puts Moses right in Pharaoh's family. He's the prince. He's in the place to just move right up and in a place to make a difference. He's about to be the one who could break the cycle. He's about to be the one who can set the captives free from right there, from his own power place. But now, it's not going to be possible. Moses has taken a step that has really messed some things up. What looked to be so promising, what looked to be the perfect path, what looked to be all that he had and his parents ever hoped was now a mess. Moses had blown it. Says Pharaoh, he heard about the matter and he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and he dwelt in the land of Midian. And the Bible says he sat down by a well. Because of that moment where he looked this way and that way and his burning anger took over, he had no self-control. He just acted out of his flesh. He thought in a moment, I'm going to stop this thing. I'm going to stop this thing from happening. I'm tired of my people being taken advantage of. I'm tired of my people being treated like this. I'm going to take this situation in my own hands. I will stop this. I will bring an end to this. And he thought he did, but it only caused more pain, and it brought a break. All the things that he hoped for. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a time when you, it just looks like the future's kind of on this great track? And then in a moment, when you weren't thinking clearly, when you kind of had set God off to the side, you make a choice, you do something, and then later you think, I have just ruined what looked to be so perfect. I've just messed up my future. Can anybody relate today? 
I can. You think it was going somewhere, and because of a choice you made, you messed it up. And now Moses has to leave. He leaves the palace. He leaves his prosperity. He leaves his position of power. He leaves not having a need, and he has to go dwell in the land of Midian. Now, it's not a horrible place. But as we're going to see, it's nothing like the palace. It's nothing like what he had gotten accustomed to and what seemed to be the path that God had. So our first big truth that we're going to take in this morning is this. When we take matters into our own hands, it leads to fear, running, and half-living. That's what happens. Every person in this room this morning can identify with this right here. Nobody, I mean nobody, you can look down the left of your row and you can look down the right of your row. There is no one who will disagree with this statement because you have personally experienced it. You know. You know when you take matters into your own hands and you put God on the side, you know what it's led to. You know that it has produced guilt, fear, and condemnation inside. And it has caused you to run from your pain, run from the people who could help you the most, and run from God. And that usually means church, small groups, serving, ministry, all that with it. Because that's the last place you want to be. When you've blown it like that. And then you end up living this half life. Oh, you're still living. You're still doing your thing. You still go to work. You still try to carry on. But you know inside this is not what you had dreamed of. This is not what you look out and say, boy, when I'm 45, this is what I want to be. You know this is not it. And what makes it worse is you know you caused it. This is where Moses is. He leaves and goes to Midian. Now what's interesting is you keep on reading the passage, and I'm showing you pieces of the story this morning. I'm showing you the whole story. Let me kind of fill in some gaps of what happens next. So Moses is there in Midian, And even though it's the place where he has, it's the consequences of his sin, God is good to him there. Watch this. Listen listen to me carefully. God is good to him there not because of his sin. God doesn't bless sin. But God is good to him because God is merciful and gracious. And in your sin, God will love you and sometimes provide for you in ways that you still haven't figured out in your head yet. He'll be good to you then, not because of your sin, but because of his grace. So in this place, Moses meets a man in Midian. He meets a man that's actually the high priest. He's a priest. And and God meets, I mean, Moses meets him there, 
and things go well. I mean, this priest, he has a daughter, and Moses likes the daughter. And Moses ends up marrying the daughter. And they end up having a son. And things are going well for Moses. Not because of his sin, but because of God's mercy. He continues to be good to Moses. But inside, even in the midst of all of it, Moses knows something's still not right. I I know... I know I've got a wife. I know I got a child. I know I got something to do. Moses becomes a, a shepherd during this time. I got a job. I got a wife. I have a child. I don't have to be afraid of Pharaoh anymore. Something's not right. The Bible goes on. It says this. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. He was working for his father-in-law the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Watch this. The man who was prince is now a shepherd. The man who had all power over everyone in the kingdom now has power over some sheep. The man who was destined to be a leader is leading some sheep around. So there's some joy, but there's this keen awareness. I was made for more than this. There's, this where I am is my fault. This is on me. Is this all I'm going to have? It says that Moses leads the sheep one day. He probably goes off and it's just an, a regular day. Oh, by the way, 40 years have passed. 40 years, that's a long time. How many people in here have not yet even lived 40 years? Yeah, you don't have to be ashamed of that. It's a good thing. (laughs) 40 years, and Moses is a shepherd. He's leading sheep. And the Bible says that one day, look at it, he led the flock to the back of the desert. In some Bibles it says to the backside of the desert. The backside. You know, that's not the pleasant place. It's not the pretty place. It's the backside of the desert. It's the place where it's really dry. It's really barren. It's really difficult there. It's quiet, but it's dangerous. It's the backside of the desert. And I don't know why Moses would be drawn to that place. Why would you want to go to the place that was really the wilderness? Why would you want to lead a flock to that spot? Were you trying to get away, Moses? What's going on? I have to wonder if what's really happening here is the backside of the desert isn't just a physical place, but it's really a description of what's going on in Moses' heart. This is kind of where he feels that he is, that he's on the backside of the desert in his life. He was called to so much more. He was entitled to so much more. God was going to do so much more. But because of his sin, because of his failure, his own personal choice, he's now on the backside of the desert. He is in a dry place. And I'm not talking about just the physical dryness. He's in a dry place here. Have you ever been in a dry place before? 
You just keep on going through the motions. You keep getting up and going to work. You keep on talking to your spouse. You keep on trying to love your child. You keep on trying to earn a paycheck. You keep on trying to pay the bills. But inside, there's something that just feels so dry. You just you try to pray, and there's just nothing that happens. You, you, try, to, you try to sing a song one day to, to, to worship, and you just, there's just nothing in there. It's like you've gone to the well and you, you, you lower the bucket and you bring it up and there's nothing there. You know what I'm talking about when I say you, he came to a dry place. But it's, it's the backside of the desert. It's worse. It's a place he was in his heart. He must have thought, I'm, on the, I'm kind of on the backside of my life, actually. I'm at this place that is just barren. It's dry. And Moses is consumed with missed opportunities, thinking about what must be going on back home, wondering about his mom, wondering about his dad, missing people, thinking about what could have been. And he's in a dry place. But the Bible says there, he came to Horeb. The Bible sometimes refers to it as Sinai as well. The mountain of God. Second big point this morning. In your most barren and dry time, God will meet you to reveal his glory and purpose. Oh, Moses thought this was it. Moses thought he was done. Moses thought he was on the backside of his life, the downhill part, the one that's now just a series of consequences because of his choice. And he thought, there can't be anything good come from this. And God was about to meet him and change everything. Oh, do not, do not, do not think that because you're in a dry place today that your life is over. You have just been set as the perfect stage for God to show up in your life. Amen? Amen? Am I speaking to some people today? I'm speaking to me, and the Lord is speaking to all of us. Watch what happens next. Woo! And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So Moses is out there with his sheep on the backside of a desert in dryness and barrenness in his own heart, and God shows up. And he shows up in a very unique way, in a way that Moses has never, ever seen before. That's what God will do. He'll show up in your life in a way you hadn't seen before. Oh, be careful, long-term Christian, of thinking you've got God all figured out in the ways that he works and moves. Oh, be careful. He'll show up and surprise you in a way that you have never seen before. I'm, I'm serious. It's happened for him. The Lord appeared to him, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. That had never happened to Moses before. All of a sudden, he's walking along. He's at this mountain of God. Sheep are there, and there's a bush. And all of a sudden, whew, this bush is burning. So he looked, and behold, the bush 
was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. You see, everything that Moses had seen up to this point was that when a bush caught on fire, the bush was burned up. Hello, that's what we all think, right? I like to burn some branches in my backyard sometimes because I got a bunch of them. So I'm in a little fire pit and I'll put, you know, uh, branches in the pit and put some logs in there, light it up, and pretty soon what was this big pile of branches is just a little bit of soot. It's a cool thing. You get rid of a lot of stuff that way. And so this happens for Moses. He goes along and sees this bush and it's burning, but the thing is, the bush is not burned up. It does not extinguish. It does not disappear. There are no ashes. Hold on to that. There are no ashes, but the bush is burning, and it keeps burning, and it keeps burning, and it keeps burning, and the flame is there, and the bush is there, and the bush is not consumed. Mm. This is not what you think would happen. Watch this. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. Another thing Moses had never seen before. A fire in a bush that is not burned up all of a sudden speaks. A voice comes from it. And here's what the voice says. Moses Moses. And he said, here I am. Good choice, Moses. Good response. The burning fire speaks. The burning fire seeks you, Moses. The burning fire is calling out to you, Moses. And Moses does something uncharacteristic in this moment. Moses does not run away. You see, up to this point, anytime Moses got in a situation that was overwhelming, he bolted. He was gone. Anytime the Spirit of God started kind of messing with him and talking to him, the Spirit of God doesn't mess with us. He speaks to us. Anytime that happened, Moses was like, I got to get out of here. But all of a sudden in this moment, Moses chooses to stay. The moment is so intriguing, so beautiful. It's so unusual. And the voice is speaking and Moses does the right thing. Here I am. He responds to God and he stays there. Look what it says next. Then he said, God speaks and says this, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, Moses, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moses, you are not just seeing a David Copperfield trick here, Moses. This is not video trickery, Moses. This is not some hologram, Moses. This is me. Speaking to you, Moses. Moses, I'm going to need you to take your sandals off. You did the right thing by staying here and saying, Here I am. 
But now, Moses, it's time to take your sandals off because this ground, this place where you are, this is holy ground. And the Lord, your God, is here. The God who created the universe is here. The God that put faith in your parents is here. The God who has worked in your heritage, Moses, is here. The God that is the all-consuming fire, Moses, is right here. And when he shows up, he is that. He is an all-consuming fire. He is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. There is no sin in his presence. And any sin that comes into his presence is just burned up. So Moses, you better back up a step or two. Stay here, Moses. You better back up a step. You better take those shoes off, Moses. This is holy ground. And where the presence of the Lord is, there is a a beauty, but there is a holiness. You don't boast about your sin in his presence. You don't brag about what you've done in his presence. You're brought to a place of humility. And here, God speaks. It says this next, that moreover, he said, God says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Moses got it. This is God. Now, what's happening here? is greater than, than any illustration any pastor has ever come up with. There is an illustration here that God is showing Moses that is powerful, that is going to change his life. And I'm afraid that we've read the story so many times we miss the beauty and the truth that's happening right here. There's a bush It ought to be consumed by the fire because the fire is burning it and fire burns up brush, right? But this is also a holy place. And and in the holy presence of God, sin is removed. Sin is burnt up. There can't be any sin in God's presence. It is immediately just burned away in his perfection and holiness. But this fire doesn't put out the bush. And in this holy place, Moses is allowed to stay in spite of his sin. God is calling Moses, and he is removing his sin, but he's not destroying Moses. The gospel is happening right here, folks, right in front of Moses' eyes. His sin is being dealt with. He's being drawn close. God is calling him. And Moses does the right thing by drawing near and saying, here I am, taking off his shoes and recognizing that this is God. And he hides his face. And just as the bush is not being burned up, Moses is not being burned up. And God is saying, Moses, I've not come to destroy you because of your sin. I know that's what you think. I know that's why you're out here on the backside of the desert. I know you think you've messed up your life to such a degree that you could never, ever be used by me again. That your parents had such hope in you. Your parents had such promise in you. They believed I was going to work in your life. And you think it's over and done. Moses, 
I'm here to tell you, I have dealt with your sin. I've removed your sin. And now it's time for you to burn for me like this bush right here. My flame's going to burn in you and you will not be destroyed. You will be set free, Moses. It's beautiful, folks. It's a beautiful truth happening here. It's a picture of the cross. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he took our sin into himself and it was dealt with there. It was burned up like an offering put on the altar. It was done and removed and opened a way for us to be in the presence of God. Whoo, Moses' sin was being burned up, but he was being shown grace. Moses, you can be like this bush. My holiness in you, my glory in you, and you're not destroyed. In fact, my glory just burns from you. God was redeeming Moses' life. Here's our next big truth for this morning. The glory of God is intended to humble us and prepare us for his passionate and holy calling. You see, as glorious as this moment was, this was just classroom 101. We're just getting started. And I'm going to tell you this. Whenever God shows up and begins to reveal his glory to you, whenever you begin to get a glimpse of something fresh and new and wondrous about God, watch this. God is showing you that so that he'll prepare your heart for what he wants you to do next. It's just the get ready. It's just the something big's about to happen. It's just the, the, the predecessor to something big. And God's getting Moses' heart in a place where he'll be ready to hear what he has to say to him. And Moses does the right thing here. He doesn't run. He doesn't fear. He recognizes this is God. And he humbles himself. Let me just give you a practical tip. I know because I feel this and I've sat out here and I feel it when I sit out here. When God is speaking in situations like this, sometimes there's a feeling inside that comes up where everything in you wants to bolt from the room. Hello? Right? Where you like, I can't sit here any longer. I got I to gotta get up. And I don't mean you got to go to the bathroom. You have restless leg syndrome. You have restless spirit syndrome. And God's speaking to you, and you're wanting to run away. You're wanting to pull a Moses 1.0 version. Instead... When the glory shows up and God starts working and God starts speaking to you, that's not the time to start saying, oh, oh okay, oh, let's see, lunch today. What am I going to do for lunch today? You, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that before? You're here and God's speaking to you and you intentionally try to start talking or thinking about something else? You even feel yourself kind of welling up with some tears a little bit and you're like, oh, <coughs> I'm going to think about something else. That, that was a guy's impersonation right there. <laughs> that stuff happens. It happens right here. In fact... I bet it's happening right now. There's some of you that are thinking, i got to get out of this place. A bunch of crazy people in here. 
I'm feeling very uncomfortable. I got to get up. I got to go. When God shows his glory, he's only getting you ready to show you the big thing. The burning bush, that was big. What's next is bigger. And when God shows you his glory, it's because he's going to do something in your life. Watch what happens next. We'll wrap it up here. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I'm sure there are times Moses must have thought, God, do you not see what's going on here? Where are you? Do you not see your people? Hello, your people struggling, suffering, slaves, no rights, being abused, being beaten, being killed. Do you not see, God, what's going on? And that led Moses to finally just take matters in his own hand because he didn't think God saw. And here God says, Moses, I have surely seen. I've been seeing. I know. I know what they're going through. I hear their cry. I hear their despair. I hear them on their beds at night. I hear them when they're being beaten. I hear them, Moses. I hear them. I know their sorrows. And so God says this, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses, I've heard. I got a plan. I've always had a plan, Moses. And Moses, the plan is this. You, you are the one. I'm going to send you back in, and you are going to set my people free. There's so much that God was doing right here in this moment. He was showing Moses the plan to set his people free. He was showing him what that he had heard all along. But one of the things that God was doing here is he was redeeming Moses' life. What was it that Moses had failed in? He took matters into his own hands and tried to end the slavery in his own strength. And he failed miserably. And he thought he'd have to live on the backside of the desert from now on. And God meets him, forgives him, burns up his sin, and sends him back to have his life redeemed. Moses is going back. He's sending Moses back. And he's going to accomplish something greater than he thought he ever could have in his own strength. And he's going to help him. He's going to use him to set a nation free. He's going to redeem him. You've got parts of your life today that you have attempted to segment off. Like some ugly closet in your house that you don't want anybody to see, you've closed that door and <clears throat> shut it and locked it because you don't want anybody to see it. But God, but God will take 
what you have attempted to hide, what you have attempted to cover, what you thought has, is keeping you on the backside of the desert, and he can burn it up, and he can fill you with a burning and send you back and redeem your life and fill you with a drive you've never even known before. Our last truth is this. Your greatest failures are God's greatest platform for revealing his glory. It's so tempting to want to run, hide, cover, deny, blame, make excuses. Instead of just standing there at the fire and say, God, you can burn it all up. I bring it out. I confess it. I'm not going to hide it anymore. Burn it up, Lord. And you can know your pain, your past, your failures are not wasted. They're not a permanent scar upon your life. They're not meant to define you. They are meant to be the very places that God steps in and heals and redeems. So you may think today, you're on the backside, you failed too much. And you may think today, man, I can really identify with Moses. And I, I can just feel all that he's feeling. You, you, you might even say, I know what it's like to run. But I believe this. I believe that because God's word is alive and because his spirit is here, that something different is happening today. That you've heard this truth from God's word, and today you're responding differently. I believe that there's faith rising up in you today. That you're seeing all of a sudden your past in a different way. That where you thought your, your choice, your fear, your sin had disqualified you, today there's something different happening. There's, there's some faith rising up. There's a little bit of hope rising up within you. There's some peace settling within you because you know that Jesus has taken your sin away even though the devil has tried to keep you from believing that. And there's some hope welling up. You sense it. It's small. And the devil's trying everything to get you to not listen to it, to try to get you to shut it down today, to try to make you think, yeah, pff, come on now, be realistic. And everything in your flesh is trying to make you not believe in this moment. Everything that the enemy stands for is trying to make you not believe in this moment, but faith is starting to rise up within you, and it is our responsibility as believers is to believe that truth. If God is speaking to you, then you believe it, no matter how small that voice is right now. Do not let the enemy steal that seed from you. Amen. And if he's saying he can redeem and restore your life, believe him for that. And if he is saying he can redeem and restore a marriage that has been broken and burned, you believe him in that. And if he is telling you he can redeem and restore your finances, your work situation, whatever it is, then believe him for that. Do not let the enemy have that moment. But you stand in truth. You stand there like Moses and you say, here I am. And you hear him. I'd like to do something different today for our response time. 
Normally at this point, I'd ask you to stand and we would pray and our counselors would come and be available here today. We're not going to do that. Instead, I want us to all kind of walk through this process in our head and heart. No funny business, nothing weird. I just want each of us, because I believe this is a message that applies to every person in this room. I want us to walk through this with God. So would you bow your heads with me today? And I would, I would encourage you to pray along these lines. God, I come to confess my sin to you today. I'm not going to hide it anymore. You just take a moment to just confess to the Lord whatever you need to today. I'm not going to hide it anymore, Lord. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to blame anyone. And could you say in your heart, God, I, I come to meet you today in what feels like a very dry place in my life, in the backside of a desert. God, I thank you that you're meeting me here. And you're meeting me here with new life. You're meeting me here and you're showing me something about yourself I've never seen before. You're showing me that you've taken my sin away. It's been burned up at the cross. Thank you, God, for not consuming me. me when I was away. Thank you for cleansing me. And God, today I feel your spirit welling up within me. I feel faith rising up in a way that it hasn't in a long time. I feel a new sense of peace and hope. I feel fear leaving. And I feel a new drive in me. Go where you send me.